His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And you all know how I love a good horror anthology, right? Mm-hmm. I've talked about it, I think, a few times on Twitter and probably in previous episodes. Yeah. So this week, we are covering another anthology film. Mm-hmm. And only an anthology film, not like the last time where we did Body Bags and like two or three other movies. <laughs> Well, that was when we did John Carpenter. So yeah. We, we, we did Body Bags on top of... Prince of Darkness and mm-hmm. uh, In the Mouth of Madness, I think. Yeah. But no, and we're focusing on one film today, and that is the 1990 Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Yes. Now, there had previously been a Tales from the Dark Side TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have that on DVD mm-hmm. because you got it for me last year for Christmas. So yeah. thank you for that. You want- well, you wanted it. There, well, there's lots of things I want. That doesn't mean you have to buy them for me. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, but I've always really enjoyed the movie. As far as anthology films, it's probably in my top five. And this was one of the ones where when I mentioned doing this for an episode, I think you said you couldn't remember if you had seen it or not. Mm-hmm. And if it was a situation where you had seen it and you didn't like it, so your brain just kind of erased it. Kind of yeeted it out of storage. Right. Or if you had never seen it. So the question that I wanted to ask you earlier after you finished watching it was, had you ever seen this before? No, I would have remembered this uh, film. Oh, God. You hated it, didn't you? I did not hate it, but <sighs> I would have definitely remembered it. Because that was the thing you were telling me is that either your mind blocked it out because you didn't enjoy it or you had just never seen it. But that tone that you used just now implies to me that you don't love this movie as much as I do. Well, that's very likely. Well, you when when you latch onto something, you love and cuddle and snuggle it. I, I like pieces of it. I like aspects of it. All right. Well, let's get into it then. You can tell me which things you like and which things you don't. Oh, babe, I didn't mean to make you so defeated on it. No, there are things I, just... I greatly enjoy. All right, I know. There are just things that I could totally live without and not miss it in uh, the slightest. I'm so worried now about which. Okay, you know what? <laughs> We're just gonna get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to mentally prepare myself for being upset. <laughs> not I, upset. You know what I mean. I think you're preparing yourself far too much. Probably, but then again, we've had to talk about movies I adore that you do not before. Yeah. And it usually ends up making me slightly grumpy. (laughs) Well, I don't think you're going to be grumpy after this. I just don't think it's in any kind of top five of anything I've ever experienced in my life, except for maybe the top five films I've seen today, which is one film. Oh my god. This one. All right. Let's just do it then. Okay. All right. So this movie, as I previously said, came out in 1990, Mm -hmm. directed by John Harrison, budget of $3.5 million, box office of 16.3. Nice. So not too bad. As I have previously done with anthology films, I'm going to be breaking down the cast as we go. Right. It's just easier that way. Absolutely. So with this, we have the nice wraparound story, the framing narrative, similar to the two Creepshow films Mm -hmm. that had come out before this. This is actually considered an unofficial Creepshow 3. Okay. There's actually one of the stories in this was going to be used in, I think, Creepshow 2. Okay. But they ended up just scrapping it because they just didn't have the budget for it. Hmm. So a lot of people put this in that kind of same vein. Right. But it's not part of Creepshow. It's not. No, technically it's not. Although George Romero is involved. Yes. George Romero does have some writing credits, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as Stephen King. Yes. And uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. Okay. so the wraparound story, the basic plot, an affluent suburban witch is kept from preparing for a dinner party when the main course, a little boy, stalls for time by telling her stories from a book she gave him. That seem pretty succinct. At no point in time did I think she was a witch. According to the plot summary, she's a witch. Mm. The the plot stuff that I that I read said witch. 
Wow. I don't know why I disagree. I, I do mean, too. I didn't see any evidence of that, but I don't know. Anyway, so the cast for the wraparound story, we really just have two people. Deborah Harry, or Debbie Harry, mm-hmm. is the is Betty. We're just going to call her Betty. Yeah. She was the lead singer of Blondie mm-hmm. back in the day. She was also previously mentioned in our John Carpenter episode because she's in Body Bags. Yes, she is. She is the nurse in the segment that was problematic for me. Yes, she was. That was, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then we have Matthew Lawrence as <laughs> the little boy, Timmy. Yeah. Uh, other millennials will remember Matthew Lawrence as being the middle Lawrence brother. I'm sure other people besides me grew up watching Brotherly Love. He was also Jack Hunter on Boy Meets World. Mm-hmm. So there you go. He was also in a 1989 Operation commercial. Yeah. Uh, alongside another horror veteran, Daniel Harris. Yeah, who was uh, Jamie Lloyd in Halloween 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. Because the wraparound story does go throughout the whole film, I'm going to save my thoughts and feelings for that segment until the end of the episode. Okay. Because that story technically doesn't wrap up until the movie does. So it just seems sense to save it for later. Sure. So let's discuss the first story. Because Timmy has this book that Betty has given him. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. That's called Tales from the Dark Side. Right. And she says it was her favorite book when she was young. She gave it to him to entertain him before she could, well, she got the stuff she needed so she could cook him for dinner. And she keeps feeding him packages of chocolate chip cookies. To try and fatten him up, yeah. It doesn't seem to be working. He's kind of scrawny. Yeah, he's he's a skinny kid. Uh, so the first story he decides to tell to kind of distract her and give him time to think of something is called Lot 249. Mm-hmm. The plot, after being cheated out of a prestigious scholarship... A poor grad student uses a mummy to exact revenge on the rich classmates who have wronged him. So the screenplay for this story was written by Michael McDowell. Okay. It's based on the short story Lot Number 249 by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Okay. So the cast, we have a pretty young Steve Buscemi. Right. I actually did some math. He was probably 32, 33 when he did this movie. Oh, wow. So it had to have been one of the first ones he did. Uh, But he plays Bellingham. Mm -hmm. He was Carl in Fargo. One of the most recent things he's been in was uh, he was Nikita Khrushchev in The Death of Stalin. Oh, yeah. Which, if you haven't seen The Death of Stalin, it's not a horror movie, but it's really funny. And it's actually remarkably historically accurate in places. (laughs) So I recommend watching that. Yeah. Christian Slater is Andy. That dude doesn't age. Christian Slater? He... He ages, he ages very subtly, like kind of like the um, kind of like, like Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer Connelly and Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Also aged very subtly. But Christian Slater was also the titular character on Mr. Robot. I grew up watching him as Will Scarlet in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Mm-hmm. He was an inspiration to me in the film Very Bad Things. Ah, uh, Yes. He's also in one of my favorite early 2000s crimey, crime thrillery kind of movies, Mindhunters. Oh, yeah. With yeah, Val yeah. Kilmer. Yeah. yeah. Julianne Moore is Susan. She's Dr. Sarah Harding in The Lost World Jurassic Park. She's Maude in The Big Lebowski. She's Julianne Moore. She's been in a lot of stuff. She was in Hannibal. Yes. The movie. The movie, not the TV show. Yeah. Robert Sedgwick is Lee. He was Rolf in Die Hard 3. Mm-hmm. And then I feel the need to mention Michael Deke, who played the mummy. Mm-hmm. He's mostly known as a makeup and effects artist. Oh, cool. But whenever you have someone who's physically playing such an important part of the story, I feel like I have to mention them. Similar to the way I usually mention like Doug Jones and Javier Botet and right. those kind of guys. They're important. So I, I feel like I have to mention them. I didn't really have any overall thoughts regarding this story. Essentially, what happens... Christian Slater's Andy is friends with Lee. Right. And Lee's Lee, the big douchebag. Lee's this big douchebag. He's already rich. He doesn't need this scholarship. As, they keep calling it a fellowship. So I'm, I, I feel like that's different from a scholarship. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm, I, it's, it's not necessarily based on financial need. It's more based on merit. Yes. And Lee and his girlfriend, Susan, who is also Andy's sister, have kind of conspired to 
cheat Bellingham out of it. And Bellingham is poor and working his way through school. And not only did Susan write Lee's essay for him, they also did some shit to make it seem like Bellingham had stolen some things from the museum that he works at. Yeah. And he gets this mummy, Lot 249, that comes with a scroll that allows him to reanimate and control the mummy. Yeah. And the thing is, he doesn't know for a fact that Lee and Susan are responsible, but He's pretty he doesn't sure. know, but he knows. You know yeah. what I mean? Does that make, kind of, does that make it's sense? It's one of those situations where you don't have proof. I don't have proof, but I know you did it. Right. Yeah. I love some of the effect work. Mm-hmm. In this film in general, because we've got the mummy when it exacts its revenge on Lee and Susan, it does different mummification techniques to them. Yeah. So it, it removes Lee's brain by doing the, the hooked rod mm-hmm. up, the nos- up the nasal cavity. Yeah, na- nasal uh, extraction, yeah. Yeah. And then Susan, because this is after Lee's funeral, she's got chrysanthemums, which I guess are a typical flower you give when someone's in mourning. It cuts open her back and then fills her chest cavity with the flowers. Right, which was standard for mummification, filling the chest cavity with flowers, flowers and, and herbs, herbs and, and things. things like yeah. That. yeah. So I just, I don't know. I think certain little, there's little aspects that I think are kind of neat. Yeah. Smart little nuances. Yeah. And it's not super gory either, which is, which could make some of our listeners happy because not everybody is a super gore hound. Yeah. I mean, Susan does come home and find part of Lee's brain in a bowl of fruit. Yeah. But that's about it. <laughs> but, but seeing a brain in a bowl of fruit is different than seeing someone's guts spilled on a table. That is true. Because one is a, ooh, that's a brain. And the other is seeing someone's life fall out of their abdomen. Right. That's, I think that's where some people have an aversion is, is the, the yeah. graphic display of it happening i feel like this is probably of the three tales this is probably the least gory Mm, least bloody definitely least bloody definitely yeah do you have any particular thoughts about this one i think it's great it's great to see these actors really before they all blew up yeah because this was julianne moore's feature film debut like christian slater and julianne moore were listed together in Mm -hmm. in the opening credits just like it was like named in order of appearance it was refreshing to see. Like, I actually had to be like, wait a minute. That's Julianne Moore? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, she wow. looks good. I well, mean, she well, looks I mean, good now. She, she but... looks good now, but, like, it, it's kind of like looking through a high school yearbook. Yeah. And seeing people, it's like, yeah, I, I can see the resemblance. Okay. Yeah. Even when I was looking up some of these actors and stuff, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, you, uh... things have changed in your life right well because like i was looking like you watch this movie and you look at a young at the at a very young as far as like acting career goes very young steve buscemi Mm -hmm. because i know prior to going into acting he was a firefighter right so i was like well shit how old was he in this because i would have pegged him at like mid mid 20s Mm -hmm. no like again like 32 33 but he he looks like a grad student age Mm -hmm. he he looks young yeah youthful it was kind of neat to it's kind of neat to yeah. see because the only other thing I've seen with him where he looks fairly you know young young is Donnie and the Big Lebowski. He looks fairly young there, and I think that's more from a, the way they style him kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, well, and the other two just kind of seem old and haggard. So yeah, the dude and Walter seem very the constant. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Yeah. <laughs> I need to, that's a movie I need to rewatch because I watched it when I was young, like in my early twenties, and I didn't get it, and I didn't enjoy it. And, and it was I'm, in amidst all the hype around it, yeah, and, and like people obsessed with it, yeah. So you had to, yeah. So I, I think I just didn't get it, or maybe I just wasn't old enough to get it at the time. Perhaps. So I'm gonna. That's one I'm adding to my rewatch list. We'll make some white Russians. No, I'm good. Okay. So let's move on to our second story. Yeah. Cat from Hell. Yes. A rich old man hires a hitman to kill a black cat that he believes is evil incarnate and responsible for the deaths of his friends and family. Mm -hmm. This is the one that was written by George A. Romero, and it's based on a short story called The Cat from Hell by Stephen King. That's pretty cool to see a Romero treatment of a king. Of a king tale? Yeah, Yeah, it's so cool. As far as this movie goes, this particular segment probably has the biggest cast. There's only five main people, so even that is saying something. Yeah. So we have William Hickey as Drogon. Mm-hmm. 
he was the voice of Dr. Finkelstein in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, he was. Which I was trying to peg down so much when I was watching this movie. I was like, why the fuck does this guy's voice sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when you go to his IMDb page, at the top where it says best known for, that's not listed as one of the things. No. It's like all the other stuff he did earlier in his career. Well, yeah, because he also did like Broadway and... Yeah. Uh, you you got to start early. Yeah. Then we have David Johansson as Halston. Mm-hmm. The thing I recognize him from, and it took me a while to figure it out, he's the ghost of Christmas past in Scrooged. Mm-hmm. Because he looks completely different. Yeah. But again, it was the voice. I was like, why does your voice sound familiar? <laughs> but the other cool thing I learned about David Johansson, he was a founding member of the New York Dolls. Yeah. Which was like a very early punk band. Like they formed in 71. They were one of the first like three real punk bands when you think about punk. Right. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. They released, uh, I believe, three albums, and then he went off and created his own group Mm -hmm. uh, and had some success after that. Yeah. Uh, We then have Alice Drummond as Carolyn. The thing I think most of our listeners will recognize Alice Drummond from is she's the librarian in the first Ghostbusters movie. Oh my gosh, she's the one that scared the crap out of me in the theaters. Well, she's not the ghost. She's the one who gets scared. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... She That's Alice yeah, no, Drummond. She, she didn't scare me, but the, the ghost librarian scared the shit out of me. No, she's the librarian librarian. Like, all through my childhood, if I was in a library, I was silent. Same. The thing is, I trained to be silent everywhere, and now I scare Tia every time I walk into the kitchen. You're just very stealthy. Uh, then we have Dolores Sutton as Amanda. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find a whole lot that most of our listeners would really recognize, but mm-hmm. one thing I know my mom will definitely recognize she was Sister Rosemary in The Trouble with Angels. Yeah, and, and the sequel. And the sequel, yeah, yeah. which was uh, an old, um, I think Rosalind Russell and Haley Mills mm-hmm. were in that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm fairly confident my mom has seen those movies. And then the last person in that segment, we have Mark Margolis as Gage. He was Tio Hector Salamanca on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So let's get into my thoughts on this particular segment. Sure. So the whole thing with uh, Drogon, mm-hmm. he's this rich old guy in a wheelchair. Pharmaceutical mogul. Pharmaceutical mogul. They made their money on this particular drug that is, a, it's some sort of synthetic that does something with helping people with heart conditions. But they also talk about how it's like, it's really expensive and it's highly addictive. And Halston says it's a step up from street junk. Yeah, so it it's basically opioids. That's that's it's my basically take on it. yeah. It's basically in universe heart condition oxycotton. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think that would really help with our heart condition. But I don't think so either. But I don't know. Still, I'm I'm happy to see that they're talking about this stuff in the '90s. Yeah. So the whole reason that Drogon thinks that this cat is out to get him and his family is because in the development of this drug, which I didn't write down the name, but who cares? They did almost exclusively animal testing on cats Mm -hmm. because of their nervous, their unique nervous system, he says. Yeah. So in the four years of testing, they killed something like 5,000 cats. Yeah. And so now he thinks this cat has come to get revenge. Yeah, he was sent by the Jellicle police. (laughs) The Jellicle police. Yeah. Jellicle, cops for Jellicle crimes, Jellicle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, dear. But here's the thing. He, he kind of has a point. Yeah. Because this cat, every time they try and get rid of it, it comes back. Yeah. Until eventually his sister finds it and takes it in. And she's the first one to go because it walks in front of her legs while she's walking down the stairs and trips her. And I swear those... Which, that's... I'm sorry, th- that staircase that she's going down uh-huh. looks straight out of Sunset Boulevard. It also reminded me of the staircase from, blah, 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 what is it? Uh, Death Becomes Her, a little bit. Okay. It's that stereotypical old Hollywood, like, rounded marble staircase with, like, a wrought iron handrail, mm-hmm. which, let's be perfectly honest, if Amanda had been holding onto the handrail instead of, like, cigarette in one of those long antique cigarette holders in one hand and then like fawning weirdly with the other like if she'd been holding onto the handrail she probably would not have fallen the way she did 
Probably. That's why I always hold on to handrails. <laughs> I'm not going to risk falling down the stairs because something weird happens randomly. Where a cat's trying to just weave between your feet. Yes. So. Dude, I'm just, I don't want to fall downstairs. Yeah. I don't want to fall downstairs. I've fallen downstairs. It sucks. I hold handrails. I don't trust those modern design staircases that don't have handrails. Yeah, no thanks. Absolutely not. I put those on the same level as those stairs that don't have a back. Yeah, no. Where someone could be under the stairs and just reach through and grab you. Uh Uh-uh, absolutely not. I love the second death the most (laughs) in this one. Because after Amanda's death, Drogon tries to find the cat and Carolyn just takes it into her room and like won't let it out so he can get it. And it just fucking wraps itself around her face. (laughs) Yeah. To uh, steal her breath. (laughs) It smothers her to death and it's hilarious. It shouldn't be, but it super is because it like, it's like bear hugging her face. And I'm like, that's not how cats do, but okay. (laughs) And I gotta say, I love the effects on this because they're, it's clearly not an actual cat. It's clearly a prop cat. It's a prop cat. But it's one of the few times where I see a obvious prop. Uh-huh. obvious fake and i go you know what this just makes it better i don't even care yeah because now i'm just thinking it's a plush animal just yeah. pick it up and she doesn't like raise her hands to try and pull the animal off she's just like clutching to the bedspread and i'm like bitch it's a cat <laughs> it's not even a like, big cat make an effort jesus the third one he just dies in a car accident yeah which is kind of like meh that's whatever uh, one of my other thoughts of this is the uh, that Drogon leaves and leaves Halston, the hitman, in the house. Everything you could possibly need is Everything in this you could house. Bu- except that the fridge is empty and there's cheap booze. <laughs> um, Everything you could possibly well, need. He's not there to be entertained. He's there to kill a cat. Yeah, and he's being paid a hundred grand. So, I mean, Which, the least he could do is order him a pizza or something. Well, he, honestly, I'm kind of on the cat side here. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I get it. Yeah. Like... I totally am on the fuck animal testing, especially for what is basically like in universe, highly addictive opioids. Right. That are unnecessary. Like, and I'm sorry, I'm on the cat side simply for the fact that that cat's got a bigger bounty on its head than any. Like respect that cat. Yeah. Yeah. I think that cat actually attracted a bounty higher than uh, the ghost in the darkness. Yeah, probably. $100,000? $100,000? Yeah. Yeah, for, probably. For one cat? hmm I do have to... Okay. One last thing I have to say about this fucking cat. <laughs> when it kills Halston, because mm-hmm. it's been tormenting him all night, which the cat keeps attacking him. So why are you setting traps? Like, just wait for it to come at you again and take it out then. Yeah, he, he's really... It, he brought, like, a whole assassin case with, like... A silenced mini rifle and a garrote and 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 some sort of syringe with some sort of liquid in it. Cause... Which, if you have that, why not poison the food that you just set out as part of your trap? Right. What the fuck? I don't even want this cat dead and I'm coming up with better ideas than you, my dude. So it's been tormenting him all night and he finally is at the end of his rope and it attacks him. And starts to crawl in his mouth and down his throat. Yep. And I'm watching that. And I've been replaying uh, Wolfenstein, the new Colossus. Mm-hmm. So I wrote in my notes, it looks like this cat took the constrictor harness perk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because in the new Colossus, there's a perk that you can take. That is yeah, a, one of the contraptions. It's a contraption. It's called a constrictor harness. That constricts your torso so you can fit into spaces you normally wouldn't be able to. Yeah, so you can, like, crawl through pipes and yeah. little, little little air ducts and stuff. So I'm, yeah. so I'm watching this and I'm like, fuck, does this cat have his harness? Because it shouldn't be able... Like, that's not how... That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> no, cats don't do that. Yeah. Plus, it's still alive hours later when Drogon comes back because then it crawls back out of him. Yeah. Still alive. And gives Drogon a fucking heart attack. Yes. And I'm like, again, that's not how any of this is supposed to work. <laughs> I mean, mad props on the cat. The cat's like, oh, you're going to put a head on me? Because even if you, when you look at the constrictor perk, 
there's a whole thing where it says if you stay constricted too long, your body will start to lose oxygen and you'll die. Well, here's the thing. It wasn't constricted once he got past the throat. He had plenty of space to move around. Just There's no air in that. He's got two lungs. Where's the air coming from? The lungs. The lungs of the person or the cat? Yes. That's not, that is not how that works. Plush cat. Is all I'm gonna say. I no, yeah, no. From a from a special effects standpoint, it was an artificial cat, but from a story standpoint, you're an artificial cat. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> yes, it's just it didn't bother me that much because I had already pressed the I believe button. I on, know. on the things you've already pointed out. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, fair. Okay. Hi. Welcome to me. Right. And my contradictions and and questions that I have that will never be answered. Fair. Because for some reason, I insist on trying to make things make sense when they shouldn't. Mm. I don't know why I do this. I don't either. I blame my dad. Harsh, but okay. He's the person who watches Star Trek movies and is like, well, that's not realistic. And my mom has to go, honey, they're in space. It's science fiction. (laughs) Yeah. Um,. Do you have any other thoughts about that particular segment? The one line that really sticks out to me yeah. is uh, after the second attack by the cat. Mm-hmm. And this assassin realizes that he's like bleeding on his back and his neck and everything. And he takes off his suit jacket because he's been hunting this cat in a suit jacket. Like, come on, man. You know, get into some comfy clothes. You're hunting a cat. Well, he didn't know he was going to be hunting a cat. He was. Yeah, he did. He took. He took the job. When he first showed up, he just knew he was signing up he for a, a hit. He brought a suitcase for all of his killing machines, but he didn't bring a suitcase for a change of clothes? I guess not. Well, that's just poor planning, because any hit, you might have some splatter. I, anyway. Anyway. So, he's mad, not because he's cut and bleeding, but he's like, man, that was a $100 shirt. And I'm like, oh, honey. I mean, I'm going to care a little bit more about getting a stain on an expensive shirt than I am a cheap shirt. Right, but it's like, maybe focus on the mission at hand. That's fair. And maybe don't wear a $100 shirt to a hit. Right. Well, in his defense... I mean, I have to... Okay, go ahead with your defense, and I'm going to have my my counter. Okay, cool. In my defense of this hitman and Mm -hmm. him showing up in this outfit, as far as he knew, this was just the initial meetup. I don't think he expected the target of the hit to be there and to be a cat. Because I'm sure that that's typically not how hits work. Well, generally, no. Yeah. Generally, no. My counter to that is when I go over to a place and whether it's going to be me eating or taking care of a cat, I want to make sure that I'm wearing clothing that I am not going to be completely hurt if I get a stain on my shirt. That's fair. But this is a business interaction. He's trying to make a good impression. It's like a job interview. Right. But you want to look nice. I'd rather hire someone that looks like a killer than someone who looks nice because well, I'd rather him spending his money on good tech for killing than, well, you know, you know, hundred dollar shirts. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, that, I am that, not now, nor have I ever been an assassin. So I don't know. Neither assassin am I. slash hit person. Well, you're a hit in my heart. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, that sounded like a weird line. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, anyway. Mm hmm. Are we ready to move on to the last story segment? I don't know about we, but I am. All right, cool. I am ready also. Awesome. So the last story is called Lover's Vow. Uh, a struggling artist finds success after an encounter with a strange creature and a beautiful, mysterious woman. Yeah. Uh, screenplay is Michael McDowell again. Mm-hmm. And it is based on Lafcadio Hearn's 1904 version of the... Yuki Ona legend okay. from Japan. Uh, it's from the book Kwaidan Stories and Studies of Strange Things. The cast, we have uh, James Reamer as Preston. He was Harry Morgan on Dexter. Yes, he was. He's also Ajax in The Warriors. Mm. So if anybody is a fan of the 80s film The Warriors or the Rockstar video game of the same name, he's Ajax. Are you looking something up? Mm-hmm. Warriors was in 79. When was the Warriors? 79. Oh. I guess I just associate it with the 80s. Although it makes sense now that that's a movie that my dad liked because he was like 18 in 79. So that makes sense. Yeah. And then we have Radon Chong as Carola. Or Carola. I was going to say what Toyota? <laughs> Not Carola. Carola. 
I, I always pronounce it wrong when I'm reading it. Mm. And then I watch the film and I'm like, oh, right, I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, she's Cindy in Commando. She was also recently uh, Betty Keery on American Crime Story Impeachment. Okay. I know she also does a lot of directing, doesn't she? Radon Chong? Yeah. I have no idea. I really just look at acting credits. Yeah, fair. When it comes to actors, I typically try to just... Because that's the whole thing is people are watching it and saying, where do I know this person from? Right. It's just... I don't see Radon Chong very often anymore. So I'm like, well, where did she go? You know, because some actors yeah. say, you know, they... They retire from acting to spend time with their family, or some actors are like, you know, I want to get into directing and producing, and mm-hmm. sometimes act, and yeah, and so there's a there's a group of people you see all the time, and then you're like, hey, where'd they go? Right. Well, like Phoebe Cates retired from acting for a time to raise her kids, and now she, and she'll do stuff now sometimes. Oh, sweet. I loved her in Gremlins. <laughs> what? Haven't we talked about that movie before? Yes, we have, because I went off about her weird dead dad story. Anyway. My favorite dead dad story. Moving on. And the last person we have uh, that's of any import in that story is uh, Robert Klein, who plays Wyatt. Right. I love this one. It's hauntingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And this one, I think, is probably the longest of of the three segments. Does that make sense? Or did it feel that way to you? No, this one actually felt the shortest to me. Okay. Is it because it's the one you liked the most? No. Oh, weird. I like them equally. Oh, okay. Preston is one of is like a starving artist. He has mm-hmm. stuff in a gallery, but he hasn't sold anything in months. Right. So he's flat broke to the point where his agent is like, your stuff isn't selling. Uh, so I can't make any money off of you. So I don't really want to be your agent anymore. Yeah. And after getting really drunk, he and the owner of the bar, who's his friend, are leaving. And they basically get attacked by this gargoyle thing. Yeah. And it kills his friends and tells him, tells Preston, I will let you live, but you have to swear that you will never tell anyone anything about me. You can't tell anyone anything about this night. You can't tell anyone what I look like or what I said or anything that's part of this interaction that we're having right now. And it scratches him on the chest and says, uh, cross your heart before leaving. Mm-hmm. On his way back home, he runs into this beautiful woman named Carola. And they go back to his place. One thing leads to another. They end up in a relationship. And she just so happens to know, like, she's a friend of a friend of this person who owns, like, a really exclusive gallery. Yeah. And is able to move uh, some of Preston's pieces. For a lot of money. Like, there's one piece that he sells for, like, 23 grand or something like that. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So before I continue with the rest of the story, I do have a couple points I want to get onto. Sure. It bothers me a little bit that Preston gets mad at Wyatt for saying, I can't be your agent anymore. Because he's your agent. He's not your friend. So if you're not bringing in any money, what is his incentive to stick around? Well... On the flip side, if the artist doesn't have an agent, how are they going to book anything? If, if they do book something, the agent gets nothing. And if they don't book something, the agent gets nothing. Right. So the agent's actually better off having, you know, representing him and other artists. And mm-hmm. when his stuff picks up, then he can be like, sweet, let's get, yeah. let's get you some shows and bookings and that's, move, move, move. I mean, that's fair. I think his agent's short-sighted is what I'm saying. Okay. I mean, it has been four months since he sold anything. Okay. And when I saw some of his art, I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I mean. Because there's there's modern art, and then there's what Preston makes. Mm. Which, the couple of pieces that we kind of get to see, I'm like, this just looks like junk that has been stuck together. Yes. Like, what are you? what story are you trying to tell with this piece? Speaking of modern art, that reminds me of, uh, shit, what was that movie? We talked about it. <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down. Nightbreed. The yeah. staircase in Nightbreed. Yes. See, now that was art. That well is and it served it's art that served a purpose. Even better. Yeah. It's art that goes, look, I'm art, and you can walk up and down me. Right, precisely. The other thing I have a problem with at the beginning of this particular story is um Preston is in this bar with Jer, the guy who owns the place, mm-hmm. and this other frequent drinker named Maddox. Right. And when it's time to go and close up, Maddox is passed out on the bar 
And as they're leaving, Preston asks Jer, well, what do we do about Maddox? And he's like, oh, I'll let him out in the morning. And then you see them leaving and he's like chaining up the door and everything. (laughs) And I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, it seems really irresponsible and also probably illegal to lock your customer inside your bar alone for the night. So many things could go wrong. Like what if he vomits and aspirates on his own vomit and dies in your bar because you locked him in? What if there's a fire and he dies in your bar because you locked him in? What if he wakes up disoriented, goes behind the bar and knocks everything over? Right. Cut, slips and falls, cuts himself. Uh, or you lose product. Well, I'm less concerned about the product and more concerned about the well-being of the person that they just left inside an empty building by oh, I don't himself. give a shit about him. I do. They don't. They should, is my point. They act like this guy is their friend. <laughs> well, that guy's Jer's customer. It's better to keep the customer captive I... than let him roam free and find other places and get hurt out in the dangerous world. Right, but it's a liability issue is what I'm saying. Well... It's really not Jer's problem for much longer because he's about to be it's, well, Sans head. Well, yeah, but still, he doesn't, he doesn't know, know that. that at the time. Yeah. You would have to be. These are things you have to think of when you own a business. <laughs> uh, you love how annoyed I'm getting, don't you? Yes. Fuck off. So anyway, back into the story. We fast forward 10 years. Preston and Carola are married. They have two children. Based on the upgrade of that apartment... Preston has become extremely successful. Yes. He's sticking fancier shit to itself. Yeah. Who knows? I don't really give a fuck. And so it's the 10 year anniversary of the night that they met. Mm -hmm. And he's talking to Carola and saying he wants to give her everything. And he talks about buying a house in the country and how, you know, she and the kids would love it. And she very sweetly says, there's nothing you can buy me that I don't already have. Right. Because she's, they love each other. They have two beautiful children. They have a nice place to live. They're happy. They're safe. They're happy. They're safe. They have plenty of money. Yeah. There's nothing that she needs. And he decides for some fucking reason, oh, you know what I can give you? I can give you the truth, which it's not like your truth is I cheated on you. Or I'm a secret agent. I have, or... I have a secret family somewhere else. It's not anything she needs to know. He's not it, living a double life. No. He decides, he basically says to her, I've given you everything. I've shared everything with you. The only thing I've never shared with you is the truth of what happened the night that we met. And she is clearly uncomfortable about this. But he tells her anyway, because... He has never really been able to get the image of this gargoyle thing out of his mind. Mm -hmm. So he'll secretly draw pictures of it or do little sculptures of it and then hide them so that nobody can see them because that was part of the bargain. So he opens this box and takes out this really nice miniature sculpture he's done of this gargoyle and tells her what happened and about the promise that he made not to tell anyone. And she's like, well, why are you telling me? Why are you telling me now? And she's like, he says, uh, again, this is the only thing I have to give you the truth. And that's when we get this heart wrenching wail because she is just devastated. And he's like, what's the matter? I thought you'd be happy. And she turns on him and she says, you promised you wouldn't tell anyone. And she starts to go through this top-notch transformation scene yeah if i'm perfectly honest oh yeah of just bits bursting through her skin because carola is the gargoyle yeah she is the creature and then you hear the children scream and then you hear yeah then you hear the children scream and he's begging her please change back i'm sorry i i love you please change back and she's like i can't because essentially Him making that promise to her and her gargoyle form, I believe that promise is what allowed her to take a human form in the first place. Yeah. And to be with him. And by breaking that promise, he's broken the spell, essentially. Not only that, but also hurt his children because his children are now... Are now also gargoyles, yeah. For the first time ever. She, like, wraps him up. She does this... Again, this is just hauntingly beautiful and just so sad, really, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. They love each other. Right. 
and he wishes he could take it back. And really, there was no need for him to tell her any of this in the first place. He just decided of his own volition. And she wraps him up in her wings and he's like, please change back. I love you. And she's like, I love you too, but you broke your vow and that sealed our destiny, which is such a great fucking line. Yeah. And it really sucks. One of the other things that about this story that I really, it makes me kind of sad is that the kids have to suffer too. Yeah. Because did they even know that they were half gargoyle? No. Probably not. Why would they? But she kills Preston because she has to, because that's, that was the whole thing. I won't, I will let you live as long as you do this. Oh, well, he broke that promise. So now she's forced to kill him. Yeah. So like sucks all around, really. Yeah. So she kills him and takes off with the kids. And the last shot is her in her gargoyle form with the children, like as stone up on a building. And they just look so sad like sorrowful faces yeah and it's oh god it's probably my favorite segment just because of the way that the story goes hmm. so as i was saying at the beginning of this it's loosely based on the yuki, yuki ona, ona yeah and one of the versions of the yuki ona story is that a man sees a ghost of a woman and she makes him promise never to tell about seeing her and sometime after that, he meets a, another, a different beautiful woman and they get married and they have children and he eventually tells his wife and she turns into the ghost and says, you promised you would never tell. The, the real difference is that she doesn't kill him because of the children. She's like, I'm not going to kill you because you need to raise our children, but we can't be together anymore. And she leaves. But they changed it because they thought the gargoyle aspect and, and the way that they did it would be more affecting, which I kind of. Sure. I mean, yeah, I get it. For a modern story that takes place in like New York City, it makes sense the changes that they made. Right. Still really good. Do you have any thoughts about this particular one? Yeah. <laughs> what a revelation. <laughs> well, okay. So. Yeah. I understand and I mean, I know I've said this before, and I I hate to be that that butthead that's like, eh. No, I but get it. What I watched for the the three pieces within this anthology, yeah, were two dark comedies and a sad romance. That's what I watched, and I'm like, wait, I thought this was horror. I know. And that doesn't mean that this can't be scary, and I'm sh it it absolutely can be scary. Just for me. It didn't hit any marks for me in the realms of horror that no, nothing yeah. startled. Nothing startled me. Nothing surprised me. No, I understand. Um, there wasn't anything that that made me go, "Oh wow, that's that's different. That's a revelation." It was it was a lot more of a tried and true, mm -hmm. reliable, fun time. I'm not saying it's bad. You don't go to an amusement park to be like. Oh, I had no idea there was going to be an extra loop in this roller coaster. I didn't see it. No, I mean you, you go for something that's planned and methodical and and whatnot. That's but fair. you go for the the thrills that you can see. That's the you. I mean, people pick attractions based on what they want to try, whether it's the most exciting looking or the least exciting looking or the bench by the funnel cake because that's the most exciting for you yeah. whatever the case is i will say i feel like all three of the main stories in this are good strong stories yeah they're solid because they're... i feel like that's a problem with that a lot of anthologies have mm -hmm. is there's usually one story in the set that's not as good as the others it that, just kind of gets sandwiched in it kind of feels like it could have been left out and even though the film would have been shorter yeah. it would have been better yeah, I feel like this just goes from strength to strength. Oh, yeah. They are three clearly very different stories, but they're all good in their own way. Yeah, and they're all tonally different, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is impressive, considering they're all directed by the same person. Because normally when you get stuff like like an anthology where each segment is tonally different, it's because each segment is written and directed by a different person. Right. Whereas these were all directed by the same person, and two out of three were also written by the same person. But that's like saying, I'm going to borrow food here. Okay, of course. But let's say you make a French, an Italian, and a you know Spanish dish. Yeah. They're not going to taste all the same. Well, no. Because they're, they're, they're different recipes. No, and I... And these, these use different recipes 
to get to a fulfilling dish. I agree. Well, but you understand my statement. Yeah. So let's get into my final thoughts for the wraparound story. Yes. This is the segment of the show that occasionally happens where Tia goes off about cannibalism. (laughs) Where (laughs) this has happened before. Yeah. It'll happen again. This is, I think, the third time that we've done it. Third or fourth time we've done it. And not even in an episode about cannibalism. Well, the wraparound's about cannibalism. Well, yeah. About eating a boy, which, I'm sorry, that's cannibalism. That has nothing to do with witchcraft. Yeah, I don't know why they call her a witch. It doesn't make any sense to me. So anyway, at the beginning of the wraparound story, she is talking to herself because she's preparing for a dinner party. Mm -hmm. And the dinner party starts at 8. And at the beginning of the film, I think it's like, what, 12 o'clock? Yeah, somewhere Something like that. Yeah. Because she says she, that he needs to be in the oven by 1.30. Right. But I don't think she's left herself nearly enough cook time. No, she hasn't. Not only that, but the, the child would need, or the, the dish would need to rest before serving. Right. He's 75 pounds. She says 12 minutes per pound, but she's also going to fill him with stuffing. And so she says she's roasting him at 3.50. Yeah. Which and- to me seems like the wrong temperature. And I looked at, I made the mistake of looking up in typical instructions for like doing a suckling pig, which of course is going to be significantly smaller, but right, it but still it, says low and slow. Right. So like 250 to 300, not 350 would be kind of, she's going to burn him. Well, and she's, she's talking also about stuffing him. Yeah. But from everything I've read, supposedly <laughs> human meat is similar to pork. Right. Not turkey or chicken. Right. So I don't know why she's filling him with stuffing. It seems weird. You can you can stuff pork. I it's just not t- it's like a stuffed pork chop. Right, but he, this is not a stuffed pork chop. This is a whole the whole hog, so to speak. <laughs> Look, you knew this was going to get fucked up. Yes, yes, I did. And who knows, maybe she was going to stuff him with like apples and onions or some shit. I don't know. I, I don't know what she was planning on stuffing him with. Maybe food. She said stuffing, and I just assumed something bread-based. Well, you know, we just had Thanksgiving, so I, I could see that. Yeah, but... so I was like, what, like a cornbread stuffing? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, the conversations we have. I know. this. Look, we have these conversations all the time. This time it just happens to be recorded. Anyway. Fair. I'm also curious if the people coming over for the dinner party know what's on the menu. Mm-hmm. Because they mention the the write-ups that I've seen call her a suburban witch. So I'm wondering if it's like her coven is coming over for dinner. Because it says uh, there's eight people that are going to be, including herself, there's going to be eight people total. Because she has a friend bringing six wine glasses. For eight people. And you mentioned earlier that she was kind of classy. Yeah. No one has wine out of a mason jar and calls himself classy. Yeah. Unless you're the person holding the mason jar. Champagne. Yeah. Or Champagne. Unless you're the person holding the mason jar, then you can call yourself classy. Yeah. Because what are you going to do? Yeah. Champagne. One of my other things about this whole situation with cooking and eating a child. Um, <laughs> I'm, listen, I'm, we've established I am a literature major. I've read A Modest Proposal like three or four times. Right, 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 right. So discussing ca- the cannibalism of children is nothing new to me. Right, right. It's just... So, yeah, this kid is pretty skinny. Yeah, he does not look ready. He does not look like there would be very much meat on his bones. There would be very little fat to render if she was, which, and she's planning on roasting him. So, like, she's going to have to add some fat or baste him constantly. And how is she planning on temping him if he's that skinny? Yeah, because you don't really want to temp at bone because that's going to throw off your breed. Plus, if you're yeah. stuffing him, then... You, you've got two temps to think about. The, yeah, because you have to... The stuffing temp and the meat temp. Exactly. You have to take the internal temperature of the meat and the stuffing. Otherwise, uh, shit gets fucked. And you'd imagine, you know, if you're going to treat it like pork, you want to make sure that he's around 160, 165. So... Right. You know, that's... It just seems like she's... And what is she serving with this? I don't know. She has carrots out at one point, but that's ca- clearly meant to be like... For the roasting. For the roasting, like mise en place. And that right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's got that out. It looks like she had some leeks. Maybe. Or um, leeks or celery, I couldn't tell. Yeah, it, I really wasn't paying that much attention to that part because it didn't matter to me. No, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Anyway. No, you're fine. My last question here. Mm-hmm. She pulls out this cart. Yes. That has all these accoutrements because not only does she have to cook him, first she has to kill him and clean 
and clean him out. Yeah, she talks about the evisceration. She's like, oh, that's going to take at least an hour. And I'm like, well, then your shit's definitely not going to be ready by eight, Betty. Right. Like, you should have done this already. But whatever. Some of the tools that she pulls out that are on this table make no fucking sense to me. Like, at the end of the film, she's like, well, you, we, you've stalled enough. Now we have to actually get started. And she holds up, the like, a knife that she's going to use. And it's a fucking kukri knife. Yeah. And I'm just like, ma'am? In what universe? <laughs> Because I don't think those are typically used for butchery. Well, I mean, it'd be great for taking off a limb or a head, but it's not really used to open up the body cavity to remove the organs and offal. Yeah, because the, the when you see the pan that she's going to cook him on, it's child... Granted, like... It's child It looks size. like she's going to, you know, truss him like you would roast a whole pig. Right. So it's not like she's going to be removing limbs or anything. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact, wouldn't she also have to have somewhere to drain the blood? Yeah, I don't think she thought much of this I don't think out. she's thought this through. But in her suburban little house, she does have a uh, cage pantry. Her pantry is a cage. Like, like, a, like a prison cell. Yeah. With, like, manacles and everything. So, it's, I mean, she went all out. She's either gone all out for this first-time child killing, or she's done this before, and it's just been a while, and she's forgotten fucking everything. I don't know. Because the... The logistics of it don't make sense to me. And that oven's got this, like, long pull-out thing that... It's a long fucking oven. (laughs) Like, did you get your oven from the crematorium store? Yeah, because she pulls out the rack, and the tray that she's going to roast him is in there long ways. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's long. It's it's so weird. It's, like, four feet long. Uh, Yeah, it's odd. It it is. It's very odd. I've, again questions that will never be answered probably questions that nobody wanted asked (laughs) fair and i do apologize for the david uh, probably was not interested in me asking most of these questions well i mean i had some of the same (laughs) questions but they flit through my mind and i go well she's doing it wrong anyway the meat's gonna be dry and there's not gonna be much of it and people are gonna like side dishes folks seriously i mean the meat's fine but if that fails or it runs out I mean, you're not just going to have, like, big chunks of meat. This I know. Is, this isn't an adult. This is a child. So, side dishes. What's side dishes? It's a child dishes? and it's a skinny child at that. What's, like, are people bringing sides? Well, I don't know. I don't think so. Because when, when her friend calls her, she's like, can we bring anything? She's like, no, I think I've got everything. So, if she's got everything except for enough wine glasses to... First of all, if you're going to be hosting a group, make sure you have the right set of... Like oh, it, I thought we'd start with champagne. Do you have any champagne glasses? Well, maybe you should have considered that, Betty. Right? You were just out and about running errands, getting the last things you needed. Why didn't you stop at a wine glass store? Wine glass store? A store that sells wine glasses. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure there's a, a name for it. I could say the name of a specific business. Yeah, but they're not but paying us. But I probably us. shouldn't. Yeah, because they're not paying us. So, yeah. Imagine, I mean, pretend I said your favorite store that would probably sell champagne glasses. There you go. Mm. Anyway, that's that's all I have to say about that whole situation. It's a fun tangent. You're welcome. I do have a couple little other notes about the film in general. Okay. I was doing my rewatch earlier today, mm-hmm. and I had meant to look up who did the special effects and yes. everything. And as I'm watching the credits roll by, it says KNB. And I'm like... <laughs> Fucking of course, K and B. Yeah. Of course, K and B did the effects work because they're uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Carola's transformation. Carola's transformation. See, see what I mean? <laughs> That's how I pictured Adam Carolla transforming. Oh no. 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 Like a gobot. Maybe she's a transformer. Transformer. Gargoyles in disguise. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, some people feel that this is kind of the unofficial third creep show film. But I feel like this film takes itself a little bit more seriously. Because, like, if you were to watch this back to back with the first Creepshow film, which I have done. Yeah. The tone is wildly different. Right. And I wonder if that has something to do with the setup slash the wraparound story. Yeah. Because with Creepshow, the stories that we're getting are coming from a comic book. Right. Whereas with this, they're coming from this big, thick, like, leather-bound tone. Right. So I wonder if maybe that slightly changes the tone. Could I don't be, know. I don't know. Be. yeah. 
one of the other things I really enjoy about this film is some of the camera choices. Mm, yeah. Particularly how they can be different between segments. I enjoy the way some things are framed. Mm-hmm. For example, in uh, Lot 249, when Julianne Moore's face is kind of like half in shadow, half in light. Yeah. I, I really like that. The way that that looked was nice. Also in uh, Cat from Hell, when Drogon is telling the story to Halston about the cat, there is this nice... Film noir feel. Yeah, this, it's a very film noir feel where like you get Halston sitting forward and then Drogon sits forward and then it does kind of like this nice fade and back into the story. Mm-hmm. It's just really... I don't know. It, I just really enjoyed some of the camera choices that were made because, like the the lighting and everything are, are mm-hmm. different. It takes on like um like a a slightly gray old Hollywood kind of yeah kind of feel. Classic silver screen feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably also what led me to feel like the stairs were very Sunset Boulevard. Probably. All overall, I just like I said at the beginning, this is probably one of my top five when it comes to anthology films. Not in any particular order. I know the Twilight Zone movie would have to be in that top five also. Mm. Cat's Eye is also really good. That's a good one. I watched that earlier today also. Oh. Yeah. Final thoughts? Yes. Because you said you didn't dislike the movie, but I also got the distinct feeling you didn't really particularly... It was kind of um, meh for you. It's not that it was meh. I guess I didn't convey it earlier, but... Okay. I sat down for a horror film. Oh, okay. So that was it. It was that it didn't feel like a horror film to you. Right. To be fair, that happens to you a lot. I asked for a large pizza. I got a medium. And that's not to say the pizza wasn't delicious. It's not what I ordered. Right. I will say the music. Yeah. Strap in for one, the intro music when it then cuts into the actual movie from the intro. Yeah. That's kind of a, it's drastic. It's intense. It's a drastic change. Yeah. Also, fun fact, the wraparound technically has three cast members because the priest is listed. Yeah, the priest is listed, he's but he one says line. one line, and I didn't think it was important. No, I, I know. It's just, it, it stuck out to me that he's like the second or third listed person on IMDb for, for this movie. Yeah, because it lists... He's got one line. Yeah, because it lists like order of a, by order of appearance rather mm-hmm. than whether or not they're actually integral to the stories. Well, because I also didn't list the dean from the first story or, right, or the, the kids. Cura- or the curator of the museum. Yeah. And all that. Well, right. I mean, there's other people in the movie, but it just stuck out. I listed out the to- important ones. <laughs> I get that. It, it just struck out to me that there is no reason for that priest to even be in the movie. No. He, has- he waves at her when she's driving by and yells, I'll see you choir practice on next. Uh, yeah. Why? 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 Why does this person exist? And like, who? Who does he? Who owed him a bit in a film? Yeah. What is the What is the point of that character in that line? I I feel like the point of that character in that line is okay. I'll get your cousin into my movie. Is what it feels like. I'm right, but like from a storytelling standpoint, there is no there is no point to him. Every other character in the movie serves a purpose taxi driver like are we trying to say that oh look she goes to church and to kind of build that character up before we see that she's going to cannibalize a child i mean that would be less of a surprise than calling her a witch i i don't know i don't know i don't know what to tell you babe <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just saying no i know also the placement of those uh rather epic leather working needles uh, in the right in that spot of her back the mid back where she can't get him. You can't. It's it's like when you've got that itch you can't reach. She's got a whole bunch of needles stuck there. Yeah, because because yeah. of course the kid gets loose. Yeah, knocks her over. She falls on the needle she was going to use to truss him up. Yep. And then he shoves her in the oven, which apparently then she immediately dies. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, what does that oven? Did he lock the doors? Because she gets in the oven, she screams, the flames go up, and then her head just like bit drops, and I'm like that. Doesn't seem like you should be dead yet. <laughs> I mean, to quote Gordon Ramsay, Betty, it sounds like you've given up. Give me a jacket and please leave Hell's Kitchen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's soon going to be entering Hell's Kitchen. Fair enough. Nice. Anyway, I think that's enough. <laughs> I think we're done. Oh, gosh. All right, let's wrap it up. Are we, can we wrap it up? Are we good? Or did it's you have any more? It's almost 1 a.m. It is almost 1 a.m. because we record after I get off of work. Yeah. 
Can we wrap it up? Yes. All right. As always, you can find us on our... Fuck off. You can find us via our social media medias through our website at uh, h2horrorcast.com. There are links to our Facebook, Twitter. You can send us an email directly. There's also a link to our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month which would be super helpful because there are times where we have to rent things or buy them because they're not available to rent or upgrade equipment, so on and so forth. And subscription services. Yeah, things of that nature. Thank you for your continued support to our current patrons, Liz, Lizzie, Gray, and Mom. The Fierce Four. The Fierce Four. Did we decide that that's what we were going to call them? Yes. Because All right. In, in honor of Mr. Chiffon. That's right. Now I remember because we geeked out about Troy Baker for five seconds. Yes. Um, Even though that's not voiced by Mr. by Troy Baker. No, but, but Pagan Min is. And Pagan Min's fantastic. Pagan Min's fantastic. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> unsponsored plug for Far Cry 4, everybody. No, just an unsponsored <laughs> plug for Troy Baker. Because, Anything Troy Baker's in. Yeah. If you are unable to be a patron, we totally understand. Yeah. You can support us in other ways, uh, recommend us to friends, or write us a review if you listen to us on a thing that has reviewing as an option. Or just keep listening. I mean... That too. Continued listenership is nice. Yes, very nice. All right, and I think that's going to do it. So until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs> <laughs>